all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family. From mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions, whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is MPB Think Radio, and this is Southern Remedy for Women, and we are talking all about issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. My name is Dr. Allie Brown. I am a pathologist, and I'm here today with Dr. Michelle Owens, my co-host, who is an OBGYN with expertise in maternal fetal medicine. And today we are talking about body image and how important it is to feel good about yourself, to be comfortable in the skin you're in. We all look different. We come in different shapes and sizes and colors and everything else. Got different hair. We wear different clothes. We do everything different. That's the beauty of it, right? But we have to balance that also with our health and wellness. So we're going to talk all about those issues today. And we'd love to hear from you with your questions and comments. Well, hello, Dr. Owens. Dr. Owens has some spectacles on today, which I'm not used to, and she looks intimidatingly intelligent, as opposed to just usually intelligent. Did you really just out me because I need readers? (laughs) It happens to the best of us. Indeed, it does. Yes. Um, So, by the way, I was told that I have have, um, great eyesight, but that I just am suffering from. Short arms? Seasoned eyes. Oh, I thought short arms because I feel my, you know, I've got, I've got short arms because ah. I have to hold things farther away. So my arms must be shrinking. I too felt that. I think that, that your arms get shorter um, as you grow wiser. That's my, that's my take on it. Inversely proportional. Indeed. It's good to see you. Good it's morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, so really excited. Um, to to talk about this because this is something that oh look at you you put on see now I feel the sense of belonging now Allie has her glasses on too so there we go we both look intimidatingly learned. intelligent learned I love that you know there's a place in Mississippi called learned I do Mississippi. know that I do know that Just those glasses of, don't give you the NPR voice shout out because now out all to of a sudden people. y'all are doing the NPR voice then. <laughs> Like, I can only see my papers. Like I can't see. It was a party until you else. put the glasses on. Now we're down here talking. My glasses are off again. I it just makes done. us. Well, I think it. It look. We we get the maturity. The the unintended yeah. consequence of the maturity that comes along right. with the glasses. Now we're, well, worried, now we're worried about UV rays. It's a, it's a party outside without the glasses. With the glasses on. Make sure you get so sunscreen. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's Jay's NPR voice. Well, glasses can affect your body image. Do you remember when it was that easy? Like, oh, oh well, yeah. I don't want to wear glasses because I look a certain kind of way. But 
There yeah. are lots of other things. I mean, a anything lot of, that makes you stand out. And a lot of people who, um, you know, who would change, like who would decide to wear contacts. I mean, the popularity of contacts mm-hmm. and, and other things, uh, LASIK surgery even, so that you could kind of just be done with it all together. Um, just because, you know, having to wear glasses, whether it was just because of the inconvenience of it all or how it made people look or what have you. So, yeah. Um, and we are going to be talking about... Um, body image and we'll talk a little bit about obesity um and um kind of some of the things that we well we can talk a little bit about um the 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 health risks associated um with obesity and some of the things that you might be able to do to combat obesity um we've been talking about a lot of different um we've talked about the pandemic we talk about different epidemics um the obesity epidemic has been, I think, one of those things that is almost kind of normalized to an extent. Like people have just kind of gotten used to it. Um, but the numbers uh, for those people who um, have the diagnosis of obesity is still continuing to increase, mm-hmm. um, not only amongst adults, but also um, among children. And so, um, so that's one thing. Um, and I think the other, and, and so the, the issue of like the concept of number one, the diagnosis of obesity, which Dr. Brown drum roll is defined as a BMI of 30 or higher. Although I hate that definition because like walking around the street, like, Hey, BMI of 30, it doesn't really mean much. Right. I mean, it's scientifically validated and we need to have a way to look at it. And that is a, a measure that takes into account your height and your weight doesn't it's take everything into account. Right. So obviously, if you're 6'4 versus 5'1, you know, it kind of takes that into account, though there are other, it's not perfect. Right. But it's just not something that we're used to talking about, I think, as a society. So I think if you're telling your patients, oh, your BMI needs to get under 30, that might not be something. I know I have a hard time conceptualizing that in like a practical way. Yeah. But that is technically the cutoff for what we term obesity. Yeah. And I, I think the other part is, you know, how are we, how are we accustomed to talking about weight? You know, it's, it's really just for those of us who haven't moved over to the new math, like here, it's typically how many pounds, right? How many pounds right. do you weigh? How, how do many, your clothes fit? What yeah, size are and, you? And how many pounds do you need to lose? But the whole point is how many, how do you determine that? Right. And, and it's difficult because as you said in the beginning, like how different everyone is, there's this concept, right, of an ideal body weight. I always thought that was an interesting thing, the ideal body weight. And um, and and so there, there are numeric values and it depends. Like if it's the insurance company, it's one number. If it, you know, like this concept of what mm-hmm. is an ideal body weight. And it doesn't take into account many of the other factors that influence a person's weight, right? It does like the ideal body weight is kind of like ideal based on what, like what exactly is the ideal human? I, I don't know. I'm looking at her. Like, oh, well, thank you. See, you're so sweet. Good save. Good Aww. save. Um, But I don't, I don't think I know what that is, but I think that the concept of, of a healthy weight or, you know, your healthiest weight, what does that look like? Um, it, it is going to probably be a little different for everyone. Um, and this concept I've heard, you know, as we've talked a lot about obesity, there are a lot of um, obese people who do not, who do not yet have health problems, right? So while they may have a BMI of 30 or greater, 
they don't have high blood pressure and they don't mm-hmm. have diabetes and they don't have cancer or some of the but other does things. that mean that they're necessarily at their healthiest right but but it's still go. it still is a risk exactly and exactly. so there's there have been um so there are a lot of different perspectives um and conversations around this this concept um but we do know that there is a cost um associated with obesity there is a a, a healthcare cost, a cost to the healthcare system, a, a, a financial burden, if you will, um, from obesity and complications related to obesity. And then there are also, you know, the implications of what obesity means to an individual as it pertains to their overall health and, and, and health risks. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of those things we've, we had a, we talked, we've talked about cancer um, recently and some other things. And so, you know, everybody has risk factors for something, right? Um, if you smoke, then you've created a lot of, you've created risk factors for a lot of things. Um, and obesity is one of the things that's on the list for a lot of health complications. And so um, even if you are a person who doesn't, have any of those complications, you do have to recognize that you do at least have a significant yeah, your risk, risk is higher than the general population. Exactly. And what and are person- some of those things? Heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, 13 types of cancer, which we can talk about. Um, and these are among the leading causes of preventable premature death. So preventable is the thing. We talk about prevention a lot, Dr. Owens. We do, because prevention... It's better than having it. Indeed. <laughs> An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Oh, my. See there? I'm getting philosophical on you. Mm-hmm. Guys, that number is one eight seven seven mpb ring <laughs> Our phone lines are open. We are going to be talking about um, body image, um, obesity, BMI, health risks associated with it, um, and ways to um, to combat obesity and ways to be... Um, your healthiest self. We're here on Southern Remedy for Women. And, you know, I know that, you know, there might be issues sometimes where you want to talk to your patients about uh, losing weight, but it can be uncomfortable and you don't want to, you want to tread the line of not discouraging them or talking down to anyone about things like that. How do you approach that? I know that especially in pregnancy, particularly for patients that you see, it's, it's an issue for the baby as well. Yeah, so so obesity can number one create uh, complications as it pertains to difficulties in people achieving pregnancy. So um, people who are obese can have uh, more difficulty becoming pregnant. Um, it is not uncommon for me to have patients who um, didn't believe that they could become pregnant because they either had irregular periods or um, or they'd been. Um, engaging in unprotected sex for a long period of time and had never become pregnant or, oh, somebody told me that I could never get pregnant. And then surprise, um, they find themselves in the unplanned pregnancy category. Um, and so, and, and sometimes it is the loss of weight that creates the opportunity for pregnancy to occur. But we do know that um, obesity in pregnancy also further escalates a person's risk for um, difficulties and um, what we call adverse outcomes or um, 
worse outcomes. So there's a greater risk in in our obese pregnant population than it is in our pregnant population of women with of, of normal weight or those people who are not obese, who don't have a BMI of greater than 30 kilograms per meter squared. So, um, so yeah, but so in pregnancy, we typically don't advise people um, to pursue an aggressive weight loss regimen. I think pregnancy is is definitely a time when you can, if you have been previously sedentary, you can still initiate um, an activity or a more active lifestyle in pregnancy. So you can still begin an exercise regimen in pregnancy, even if you have previously been sedentary. Um, we encourage people to be mindful about what they put into their bodies. It's not just medications, but you need to think about your your food choices, right? So optimizing your food choices. If you um, have a diet that leaves you deficient of certain vitamins and nutrients, then prenatal vitamins or vitamin supplementation can be helpful. So we encourage people to make healthy choices. Um, and those healthy choices can even begin in pregnancy if they did not exist before pregnancy. Of course, it's great for you to optimize your health before becoming pregnant. But we know that 50 to 60% of pregnancies are unplanned. So everybody doesn't always get that privilege. So if that's the case, than just making healthy choices. But, you know, having conversations, at least for me in my practice, having conversations with patients about weight is a whole lot easier to me than just talking to regular, just talking regularly about it. It's a whole lot easier to have the conversation with a patient because I have the opportunity to approach it from a health standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Like this is about making helping you be your healthiest um and and i don't tell everybody you need to be skinny like that's not the goal and it's not about what is aesthetically pleasing or about the way you look it's just about the things that um what are your goals for your life when you think of like your health your health goals um and it may not be that their goal is to like, say, for example, if your goal is to live to be 100, well, how are we going to help you to do that? If your goal is not to die from heart disease or not to have um, not to be have an amputation like your mother or your grandmother or somebody did because of their out of control diabetes. Like, how does how does fixing this or working on this contribute to your overall goal? And I think um, the response there has been a lot more um, positive um, because I think when you approach that conversation from a genuine place of of being concerned about somebody's overall health, it's a whole lot different. And and we're Southerners, and we're typically like hospitable, loving, kind people. But man, we can tell people some stuff that can be really hurtful. And and one of the things that Southerners don't have a problem doing. Um, is telling people when they could stand to lose a few pounds or push away from the table. You know, they'll be like, oh, my, you sure have gained some weight. What's going And I think, how in the world? And I hope that there are people who are listening and might be shaking their heads or at least laughing because I know that those of you who are under the sound of my voice have heard somebody. It's somebody's grandma, somebody's aunt, or somebody's friend who you just walk in and you might be feeling really good about yourself. And then next thing you know, somebody's like, you picked up a little weight. Or they pat you in a place that's a little softer or squishier than it's been. Your jiggly bits? Yeah. Or they say jiggly bits. 
Don't jig it. Don't touch them. And instantly, I will say that one time I was feeling I was having a little body dysmorphic day, and and my my son was a, a baby, and he kind of nestled up and kind of laid his head on the squishy space, and all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm okay with it. I was bothered by it like two minutes ago, but now all of a sudden it's squishy made it. Squishy <laughs> space sometimes has a reason. It's made it all okay. Um, yeah, but. I would tell you like five minutes before that, I was really like, oh, gosh, I got to make sure I work on that. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just the way that it's presented. And you mentioned that that's a really big part of it um, and and where it comes from. And I think a lot of times people are very well intentioned, but sometimes it lacks a little bit in the delivery. Speaking of well intentioned people, we're going to go to the phone lines and talk to Sue, who's calling us from Beaumont. Hey, Sue. Hi, how are y'all today? Hey, we're doing great. How are you? And thank you for taking my call. I, I, I'd like to make a comment about the fat problem, but I'd like first I'd like to ask you a question. I have a daughter with leukemia. She's mm-hmm. 54 years old. How does an adult get leukemia? That, mm-hmm. that I couldn't find out much for diagnosis otherwise because of privacy concerns. She's in Texas. And they won't tell me anything. Okay. How does an adult contract leukemia? So leukemia is a cancer that involves the cells of the blood. So the cells that originate in the bone marrow, right, that make the the different constituents of the blood. And there are lots of different types of leukemias. There are some leukemias that are more common in childhood. And then there are some leukemias that are more common in adults, like you had mentioned, with like your daughter. And I'm very sorry to hear that. And then there are some leukemias that people can have for a very long time. Um, there's one called CML, another one called CLL. Those chronic leukemias are almost like chronic diseases to a point, and then eventually they convert to what we would call an acute leukemia. So, you know, depending on the type, you know, there's a very different treatments for all of them and very different prognoses, but the cause for the majority, you know, they are genetic alterations. So mutations that occur, you know, the bone marrow is composed of cells that divide rapidly. You're constantly making new blood constituents and occasionally some of that um, proliferation, you know, can happen in a way that is abnormal. And the body usually has mechanisms or ways that it will take those cells out, right, and kill them. And so they never become anything worse. But sometimes, whether it's in the breast or in the bone marrow or in the lungs, just takes one of these cells to escape those different checkpoints, and then it can grow out of control. And that's essentially what, what causes a cancer. So it, 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 there are some risk factors associated uh, with developing different types of leukemia. You know, there can be exposures to, exposures to certain um, chemicals, you know, prior chemotherapies and things like that. But for the most part, for most patients, there is not like a pinpoint incident uh, where we could say, oh, yeah, that gave you leukemia. It's just something that developed like any other cancer develops, Sue. Okay, thank you. You're can, very welcome. Can I make a comment about the fat stuff? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> You wouldn't be you if you didn't. Come on, let's hear it. <laughs> there, there, there's just, hello? We're yeah, here. We're here. We're ready. We're ready. I'm having trouble with my landline phone. Anyway, there's this TV show, My 600-Pound Life, and it's just disgusting to see these people who weigh over 600 pounds, and they're just stuffing food in their mouth. Uh, why would anybody want to watch those shows? I don't know. But uh, there's also one called My Big Fat Fabulous Life. I think you can be big and you can be fat, but I don't think you're having a fabulous life if you're weighing almost 400 pounds do you not really well i think this is what we're going to talk about some regarding body image you know and i think there's a balance right you don't want 
to bring people down and whether it's unhealthiness associated with obesity, whether it's getting lung cancer and you used to smoke, you know, there are stigma or attached to a lot of right. things. And it, I think it doesn't help to kind of shame someone and say that you need to change for some reason because of this thing you're doing to yourself. So I think it's a, it is a, a balance. And that's kind of what the question I was asking Dr. Owens, how do you balance that? You don't, I mean, you need to be realistic. It's unhealthy to be obese, period. It is, it's, it is unhealthy. It's scientifically proven. Right. It's unhealthy, but such a large proportion of the population currently is obese and or overweight that Getting at it from a shaming standpoint is not necessarily the most productive. Yeah, and I kind of feel like um, you never know what people are dealing with or struggling with. And I think that um, when you look at someone and make a judgment about that person based on what you see and you have no idea... um, And I promise, like, so we're going to get through this show with no tears, but like, it is a, it's a really a challenge and a lot of people struggle, um, emotionally, psychologically, internally with, with their weight and the way that they are perceived and this disconnect between the person that they see in the mirror and who they feel that they really are inside. And I think, um, people treat larger people in our society differently. And I think that too builds into it. Cause like there's, so there, that stigma that kind of manifests itself in, in, in some of the things that are really not the best of us and how we treat other people. Um, and, and so the whole concept of like, I think what's disgusting to one person um, is fine and acceptable to others. I think that, you know, some of those harsher terms speak more to um, maybe some things that we as individuals need to deal with more so than it does about that particular person. Um, Because we never really know what led them to that place or how they've struggled or what they've had to deal with. Um, And like I said, it's not just about it's not just about overeating. It's a psychological thing. There are all kinds of other components that go into it. And, um, and society is not always very helpful in helping in getting people, um, the help that they need to be able to, to really fight that. Um, so, but I think that people watch shows like that. Some people watch it because they can see themselves in that show. Some people watch it because, they need to um, feel a sense of hope, like there's a possibility that things could be better. Some people watch it because they like to see the people actually overcome their problems um, or at least deal with it and and kind of finally get to a place where they can do better. And then I think there are some people who watch it because misery loves company or they watch it because they... Um, they want to make fun of other people or they want to see people in situations where they can feel better about whatever it is that they're struggling with, because that's not their particular problem. I think, I don't know that there's any one particular type of person that watches those shows, but I do believe that there are a lot of people who've been helped by that 
because they've realized that there were options available. And for some people who've struggled, um, shows like that have given people the strength, um, the courage, and, and even a, a pathway to be able to change their lives in a very uh, transformative way. Well, thank you for your call, Sue, and best of luck to your daughter. Um, We're praying for her. And just uh, to follow up, if you have any questions or comments about stigma around being overweight or being uh, obese, if you have any personal stories or journeys to tell us about, we'd love to hear them. This is MPB Think Radio, and this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from, from a, a woman's, woman's perspective. perspective. Jinx, buy me a Sprite. I'm Dr. <laughs> Allie Brown. I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens. We're talking about stigma of obesity. Are we being too lenient as a society? Are we too mean? I think that the uh, it's all across the board, people's opinions right now. There's a, quite a bit of controversy about it right now. And what is the solution? How do we get to a healthier place in our country? Uh, we're going to go straight to the phone lines. Kim is calling us from Gulfport. Hey, Kim. Hi. What is your question? So I have an adopted object, two adopted daughters out of foster care. And um, my 17-year-old, um, 16 year I'm sorry she came to live with me two years ago and she was a little bit chubby um, and it was I think a lot of it was that prepubescent weight but she had been had some food scarcity and some you know poor poor availability for healthy food I guess um, prior to coming to live with me and in that two-year period she went from 154 or something to 120 and the doctors were um, saying that they thought she had an eating disorder um, and were and but she I think she's just eating more healthy now um, so I was just curious what y'all's take on that would be I think it's great that your doctors are paying close attention to her weight. You know, there's some controversy now even saying that you shouldn't be weighed when you go to the doctor, which I think is sort of silly. I mean, it is a objective measurement yes. of your of your biophysiologic profile. Um, um, so I, I think in this instance, it's good. It's good that they're paying attention and seeing a, that a dramatic weight loss and putting some red flags up there Absolutely. for things to look for. But yeah, it obvi- obviously doesn't mean that she has an eating disorder. It's not diagnostic of that. Right. And, and so, and the other thing is that weight loss, um, in that teenage time frame um, can come from a lot of different things, um, and motivations. I think for sure, um, be, being in a a healthy a, like a a emotionally healthy environment is really important um the other thing is it, i think most um most adult women can remember or do remember that time that pre like you said that prepubescent thing like that 10 to 12 age range is really merciless for a lot of us when for boys too when when we when our when our height hadn't caught up with everything else that's that's changing and and growing and developing and and preparing for puberty and so i think um it is definitely true that the distribution can be a little awkward in that time um but it's also as we're talking about body image, one of the things that's really weird is that it's also at the time when we are starting to feel more 
um, concerned about our appearance and our self-aware and, right? our, and the acceptance yes. by by our peers. I mean, second graders they they care about their friends, but they don't care about the way their friends think about them in the same way that the, the go to middle school, and then that like that becomes everything your peer group, and so um, so I do believe that a good healthy environment with not having issues related to food security and having access to to good healthy food to make healthy choices is really important. Um, and so if you are in a situation, and this is the other thing, because we're talking about all this stuff with related to health, let's be clear. Being healthy is not always cheap and easy. And in, in, and especially in in our country, when we think about these places that are like food deserts or places where you have you don't have access to the healthiest foods and if you're buying the healthiest foods um that are available the truth is that they're probably more expensive i mean the dollar menu at mcdonald's doesn't have salad on it it's french fries and hamburgers and 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 the biggest soda that you can imagine like these big concentrated sweets um and maybe even a couple of pies or ice cream or something so when you think about but if you want the salad, you're probably going to pay five or six dollars. Right. Um, and and even then, you got to deal with the heavily calorie laden um, dressing, really good dressing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So um, but I, I think that that is great. But I also believe that they are right because I'm not saying right that she has an eating disorder, but right to be mindful about it, because this is the time when those kinds of things can really rear their ugly head. The thing to be just to keep an eye on is whether or not that weight loss continues because people who have so of the two most common eating disorders, whether it's anorexia nervosa or uh, bulimia, usually people with bulimia don't have significant weight loss. So it's not typically a sudden weight loss thing. Um, those are kind of the binge eaters, purgers. Um, the anorexia nervosa people will tend to drop and continue to drop to a point where it's really unhealthy. But if she's more active, making better choices, and in a better healthy mindset, then it may be very um, normal for what she's experienced. And this actually may be more of what she's going to be going forward as opposed to what she was experiencing before in her body as being what she was destined to be. But just keep an eye on her and um, and keep in mind that while that is a, a possibility, um, I would probably just keep my eye on her before I jump to that conclusion. But good communication with your teenagers is always the best way to be able to determine if those things are happening. Thanks for your call, Kim. And, you know, it's interesting Eating disorders kind of are more in the line of, I mean, so we're talking about body dys dysmorphic disorder or body image, which is definitely different from eating disorders. And I think that's something that people need to hear. So if you're a person who just doesn't feel good about the way that your body looks, or if you see yourself differently than you really are, that kind of can be more in the body dysmorphic or a dysmorphic situation. And that body dysmorphic disorder is actually a mental health issue. It's rooted in anxiety. It actually falls under the umbrella of anxiety disorders as opposed to the eating disorders, 
which is an, a totally, I mean, eating disorders are a different classification. So I think that's a really important um, distinction to make. Um, and while both of them can lead to different types of behaviors that can be unhealthy, um, realizing that, you know, body dysmorphic disorder, not liking what you see in the mirror, um, but not really actually taking action is really different from the anorexia or bulimia. All right. We're going to stay on the phone lines and talk to Robert, who's calling us from Hattiesburg. Hey, Robert. Hi. Thanks for uh, taking my call. This is a tough subject to talk about. Mississippi is, uh, I think, ranked number one all the way on the bottom of all states in obesity. And it's a function of poverty, and it's a function of cultural diet, I, I think. Um, be, it, it, that's that's one issue we all have to be aware of, and, and it, it follows on that we're also very high in, in uh, all the health maladies that flow from being overweight, like uh, diabetes and, and uh, things like that. I think the medical profession here has to be a lot more aggressive in... Uh, in talking to people, and uh, the broader culture has to be more aggressive uh, in terms of identifying this as a real health risk. The What we seem to be doing now is worshiping or honoring people that are overweight, whether they're celebrities or whatever, and having people be proud of their bodies. But that gives everybody else um, just a, you know, free, free line to eat and behave as they want. Um, I, you know, I, I've lived here maybe 10, eight, eight or nine years now. And I've noticed that, that, um, despite the fact that I'm a little overweight, when I go see a medical practitioner, no one says a word about that because they're used to dealing with far greater problems. And, 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 um, I, I, I really think that, um, this is a major health hazard here. Our life expectancy in Mississippi is, uh, I think, one of the lower ones in the country, and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Robert. You know, a lot of times, you know, doctors have limited time, and they're spending their time altering medications and things that are treating the issues that they have with the root cause of, of, of obesity. You know, it's a, it's a difficult situation for everyone. Um, people, a lot of people would rather take a pill than change their lifestyle. It's easier yes. to do. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's easier to do. Um, but but I, why, why the why the movement against even weighing people when yeah. they visit the doctor? That I don't understand. I mean, I mean, I don't understand that. But but they're saying that it's down, a shaming up thing. Up or down in terms of weight, that's a major indicator that a problem could occur. Yeah. See, I I feel I feel the same when it comes to that information. But I will also say that that there is a certain, like I have that expectation as a person who's always trained with us getting that information. So the concept of not having it is, um, is an issue, but I believe that, that that is important because if you take that away, then, then when are you really going to have, have the conversation? Like, I think that it gives you objective information that you can use to help counsel a, a person that you are seeing about their overall health and you are right. Um, we should talk more about it. Um, but I will tell you that it has been anecdotally, the things that I've heard kind of fall on one of two spectrums. I've had people who have been super annoyed because they go to the doctor and they have a health concern. 
and everybody that they see tells them that they need to lose 50 pounds or you're overweight, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And so people leave there feeling very um, offended and feeling very alienated because they feel as though their concerns were not being addressed and that the only thing that their healthcare provider did was tell them that they needed to lose weight. Or then there's the other part where it is the elephant in the room. It is the thing that is sitting there taking up all the space and yet nobody wants to talk about it either because, well, I didn't want to offend them by what I said, or I didn't want to make a person feel as though they were being shamed or that they were somehow unattractive or whatever, which is why I said one strategy, um, but definitely not the only one, is just to address it from a from a health, a general health standpoint, but also to ask the person, hey, um, how do you feel about like when we talk about their numbers, how do you feel about your weight? Um, because I have patients who come to me who are obese and we talk about how that impacts their future health. And they say, well, I'm the smallest person in my family. Everybody else is bigger than me. And so I kind of figure like I was doing well, or they feel a, a local pressure to, to be bigger. They don't feel like they're, they're large enough because the norm in their immediate environment is something very different. And so those are complex things to unpack. But if we are going to get better as a society, even as a state, and the people who are listening in here are not just people in Mississippi. We have folks who are hearing us in parts of Arkansas and Tennessee, um, in Alabama, um, in Louisiana, And the truth is that while Mississippi is oftentimes wrestling with one of those sister states um, for the the heavyweight champion of the United States, um, the truth is that we're never too far. And we all kind of are in this cluster of space where this is, no pun intended, the biggest problem. Like We have the largest large. We're the largest of the large in this in this particular part of the country. And we struggle with this much more than people in the Midwest, the far West, you know, and the Northeast. Um, Obesity is a problem all over our country. But when you look at the Southeast and that little corridor that tracks up from the Mississippi up through Tennessee, all the way up through to Michigan, that it also includes Kentucky and uh, West Virginia, um, that's where the the largest concentrations of the most obese people in our country are found. And so we've really got to do something. You know, if we are going to make significant health changes, we've really got to address that. And I think that there's a way that we can do it without making people feel bad about themselves, right? We don't make high, people with high blood pressure feel bad because they got high blood pressure. You don't make people with diabetes feel bad because they have diabetes. You say you have this condition. This is what we need to do to fix it. And it may be difficult to fix, but we're not going to stop until we get to control. And I feel like we can take that same approach when we're dealing with obesity without having to make somebody feel horrible. We don't have to destroy their self-esteem or make them feel like they have to become some ideal that 
may not even be what they want for themselves. There you go. We're talking about obesity epidemic and balancing being positive with people and empowering them versus tearing them down. Or are we doing that too much? I think um, there's a lot of discussion currently in our media about these things. And we have a lot. Of course, the last segment, the phone lines just blew up. Last seven minutes, guys. Dr. Owens, who are we going to go to first? Let's go to Andrew, who's calling us from Oxford. Hey, Andrew. Hey, good morning. How are you? We're doing great. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to, uh, to make some comments and then uh, hopefully to hear uh, a response from you. I can, I can listen offline. Uh, but actually, the, the deadliest mental illness that we have in the world right now is, is eating disorders. And I think that it's, it's an interesting uh, concept that you brought up about healthcare providers actually not providing health care to people who live in larger bodies um, because if someone with a smaller body goes to a physician and they say something like, I don't feel really well, I'm not sleeping good, and I've got all these issues, they're going to run a bunch of blood tests and test to see what's going on. But if the person lives in a larger body, they're going to say, you need to lose weight and then come back. Um, I think wow. you can you can have health at every size because size and health are mutually exclusive ideas. Uh, we know that BMI is a joke that was made up by an astronomer who studies stars um, and I, I also know that, you know, I work with um, I work with veterans. And so the National uh, Association of Eating Disorders has, has found that 60 percent of women in the military have full blown psychiatric eating disorders. And in the Marine Corps, it's actually 95 percent. Uh, so we're not talking about disordered eating. We're not talking about, um, you know, people who might make comments about their size and say, well, I'm not going to eat this just because I want to go out, you know and do something later. Uh, we're talking about, you know, detrimental things to, to overall health. We, we don't look at, you know, the bone health of what happens with osteopenia and osteoporosis when you're not feeding or fueling your body. And the obsession with size is incredibly detrimental, I, I think, to, to everything that a physician would stand for. So I know that's a whole lot of information, but I would love your comments on maybe harm reduction, um, addressing eating disorders because it's praised in our society to live in a smaller body. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I've got. Andrew, thank you so much for those really thought provoking uh, comments and also for sharing the information, um, you know, about the, about our, um, the people who are serving and, and, you know, protecting our country um, because the, the military um, is just one particular aspect where um, there are much higher rates. We also see it in um, in the competitive athletic world as well. Um, again, where where fitness and performance um, is also um, where there's a really high uh, pressure to be fit and to perform. And so these things kind of manifest themselves in those environments a little bit more. Um, so with respect to um, Dr. Brown, with respect to harm reduction, what do you think about that? I thought that was a really good question, actually, Andrew. So harm reduction around uh, losing weight? Well, and just the whole concept, like, we're not, I mean, are we, are you really going to get rid of it? If not, then what, what, how, how to mitigate harm reduction from this, this concept of the pressure to, I like when, when he said you can be healthy at different sizes. Uh-huh. Um, and also the issue of, um, 
there, oh gosh, there was so much good stuff. Uh, well, I felt like Andrew was talking more about um, being underweight when he talked about osteo- osteopenia and osteoporosis and not feeding your body enough. I mean, you can be obese and not be feeding your body the right thing, too, yeah, right? So you can have nutritional deficiencies and be quote unquote obese. Right. So it's about uh, risk mitigation is about making sure that you're putting healthy things into your body and that you're staying active. To me, that uh, a big part of it is that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. so because we are and Andrew, that was great. We're going to go ahead and stay on the phone lines. We got a couple of callers. We're trying to get in in the last three minutes. We're going to hear from Jackie, who's calling us from Olive Branch. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. How How are are you? you? We're doing great. Oh, my goodness. I was just calling. I had a comment. I'm in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And um, talking about obesity, that really touches my heart. Um, I lived in the, the large body, and now I'm in the smaller body. The smaller body is a lot better. Uh, I used to weigh 310. I'm down to 174. I still think I can go further, but I feel healthier, um, happier. Um, I'm off medicine. I just feel like that um, if you do it on the front end, the back end will be better. So I'm 63 years old now, and um, I'm just enjoying life. And, and, you know, Mississippi can do it as a whole. We can do it the, um, with the education, um, the right materials. Like you said, the menus need to be tweaked some. The salads need to come back to a dollar, you know. And, you know, we can just do this thing together, you know. And that was my comment. Um, I do like to watch the 600-pound show because it motivated me. Oh, there you the go. doctors, the, uh-huh. <laughs> the psychologists, it was great tips on there. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that we can do it. I'm working on it. Uh, it's not easy, but right. it's worth it in the long run. Jackie, so y'all have a great day, and thank you so oh, much. Well, thank, thank you. Much. Thank you, Jackie. That's a great call to end the show. I mean, it's uh, positive. Absolutely. And it, I mean, I heard the, did you could like feel the joy that just was emanating know, from I her? Hang like out with Jackie. Joy through her voice, just the whole like, and for somebody to say, I'm 63 years old and I'm just loving life. I have made some changes and now I am a healthier version of myself because most people think that as we age, we have to become less healthy and we don't have to resign ourselves to that. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be tomorrow or today is a great time to start off the healthiest part of your life. And that can, I mean, that caller just let us know that that could be done. I think that's amazing. I'm inspired by Jackie. I know. She was inspired by the show. I'm inspired by Jackie. Can we watch? <laughs> Jackie, you want a show? We'll watch your show. We'll watch the show. And see. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> I love it. No, but thank you so much for that. I mean, it, it, that's, I mean that's, what, that's what this is all about. But I love that. It's going to take um, a lot of different changes across the board in order for us to really make a dent in this thing and move the needle in the right direction there you go starts with awareness right and having open and honest discussions um and everyone looking out for one another right to have a healthier future a healthier mississippi and a healthier united states it's all across (laughs) the southern remedy for women was produced and engineered by jay white our call screener today was charles arnold charles arnold (laughs) superstar join us next week we'll be back with southern remedy for women on mpb think radio y'all be safe be kind be healthy
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.